This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, late last night, another... Tory sleaze scandal broke too late for most of this morning's newspapers in this country. The story is that the Deputy Chief Whip, which is a very exalted position in the Whip's office, Chris Pincher, had decided to resign because at the Carlton Club dinner two nights previously, he got too drunk, as he explained in his resignation speech, and he groped two males. Mr. Pincher had previous, as they say, in 2017, he was a whip, just an ordinary whip. He resigned then because he had propositioned a Tory candidate. He'd made what's called an unwanted pass at a Tory candidate, and he told the Tory candidate that he'd go a long way in the Tory party if he complied, but he didn't. At that stage, of course, Pincher's form was beginning to be known. It didn't stop him rising back through the ranks. He is one of Boris Johnson's closest followers. In fact, he worked as an aide in Downing Street during a lot of Johnson's troubles and to discuss Brexit and its effect, and just in passing, to talk about Mr. Pincher, MP. We're joined by Chris Johns, Chris, former chief economist of the Bank of Ireland and now a respected commentator. Chris, there's been so many Tory sex scandals recently, and they're so disgusting, some of them. And one man, the former MP for Wakefield, is in prison for sexually assaulting a 15-year-old boy. And then we had the farmer from Tiverton, where they lost the by-election last week, who was looking at porn in the House of Commons chamber. He claimed afterwards that he was looking for tractors. Is it only me who thinks the Brits and this particular Tory mob are, are seedy, dirty and weak? Yeah, I have, as you know, Eamon, because you've used it many times, used a quote about this lot, about there being hacks after dinner speakers and journalists. I think that we could add to that uh, wannabe Roman emperors, because the sexual peccadilloes of Augustus onwards 
um, were quite extraordinary. And Johnson, with his classical education, knows all this very, very well. It it should be said about Mr. Pincher that um, his resignation letter admitted to drunkenness. I don't think he said where it was. That's appeared in various media over the last few days. So the notion that he groped two members of the Carlton Club, which is the home from home for Tory MPs, is at the moment an allegation Yes, that he certainly hasn't admitted to as yet. But it certainly adds, as you say, to the long list of sexual misconduct that is being proved and alleged for a long, long period of time now. Another story emerged yesterday um, on national radio, actually, and I must be delicate in my choice of words here, because it, it, it was about 2018, and there are shades of Bill Clinton in the White House here. The allegation aired on national UK radio yesterday is that an MP wandered into Boris Johnson's office and found him and his then mistress uh, performing a sex act on him. And yes. uh, this has been reported in a very matter-of-fact way. And the extraordinary thing about the UK's situation, well, one of the many extraordinary things about the UK's political abyss into which it's fallen, is that this hasn't really attracted that much attention. It, it almost is received with a shrug of the shoulders and people saying, well, what did you expect? This is just the latest in a long line. And yet again, I suspect that Johnson will, will get away with this. Um, but yeah, the, the well, list of sexual scandals is, is a yes, very, very long one now. Of course, he knows all about that kind of thing himself. I mean, what we want to talk to you today is about Brexit, Chris, and how it's worked, because people are beginning to form opinions now. And it's really very relevant to us, given that last week they got the new law which will unilaterally scrap parts of the Northern Ireland Protocol. They got that through the Commons, although it's very noticeable that among those who dissented was the former Prime Minister, Theresa May, who said, and I quote, This bill is not, in my view, legal in international law. It will not achieve its aims, and it will diminish the standing of the United Kingdom in the eyes of the world, and I cannot support it. So... Theresa May was one of many people who, Tories who didn't support it. It clearly is a breach of international law. And, but eventually it will get onto the statute book. And the point here is this, Chris. If this stands, we in this country are going to have to make a choice between remaining in the single market or erecting a hard border on this island, which is one of the key achievements of the Good Friday Agreement. So this delinquent government we're talking about is producing very serious legislation in this instance that is a direct threat to peace on, in this country. Yeah, the Northern Ireland Protocol and its abandonment, by, unilateral abandonment by, by Britain is one of the, um, I guess, the biggest aspect of the Brexit debacle. And um, I'll come on to that in a second because there's a, a very interesting letter to the Financial Times today by the ambassador of Ireland to the UK, Adrian O'Neill, who takes on this trust very, very directly. And it's worth exploring that in a little bit of detail yes, in a moment. the but foreign the secretary who drafted this legislation, I should have said. That's right. And had an article in the FT justifying it on Monday of this week. Um, Brexit as a whole is failing. 
Um, there's a fantastic article in a recent edition of The Atlantic written by somebody called Tom McTague, who takes us through uh, what lots of other people have done. Lots of think tanks have done this. Lots of analysts have gone through the various promises that were made, what's actually happened, what, and answering the question, what effects have Brexit had on Britain? And McTague makes a, a very fundamental Brexit point is that 10 years ago, I mean, not that long before the actual referendum, we've just passed the sixth anniversary of that referendum. Uh, if you look at GDP per head, a, a standard economics measure of um, wealth, of, of incomes, um, and whether or not countries are the same or different, the UK and Germany were about equal. Yes. And now, 10 years later, the UK is 15% less on incomes per head than Germany. It's 30% less than the States. And McTade concludes that Johnson's Brexit project is failing. It's a great article because it does rehearse all of the arguments. Um, it starts by pointing out that Brexit has been a failed attempt to recreate a past that never really existed. Um, yes. There are some quibbles that you can make with any of these things that people write about Brexit, because Brexit does mean different things to different people, and people can focus on different points. McTade, for example, repeats the tired old trope about the way in which Remainers disparage Leave voters as heathen, leave voting um, northerners. Yes. And um, points out that the statistics of who voted where and when and how um, really uh, don't support that tidal trope. And something that people like me, Remainers like me, know very well. And we know that who voted why, where, and when is, is much more subtle than that tired old cliche. Um, the in fairness to the Brexiteers, there's been one promise that has been fulfilled, which is that they took control of immigration, took back control of immigration. So immigration from the EU has collapsed, but immigration from outside the EU has actually gone up to the point now where immigration, depending on the stats that you look at, is either the same as it was before Brexit or is actually higher. Um, and McTade goes on to say, in all other aspects of Brexit, promises have not been honoured. Um, and Britain, he says, continues to run a distinctly European social and economic model without the benefits of being in the EU single market. But what McTague doesn't say, um, which I think is very relevant to today's conversation, is that this failure to unravel Britain's social and economic model, which looks very European, has enraged the Farageists, the, the Brexit ultras of this world, who are now peddling a stab in the back myth. This is Lord David Frost's favorite speech topic, yes. is that Brexit has been betrayed. Brexiteers still want to get Brexit done, believe it or not. They want less regulation, less government, less taxes. And that is exactly the opposite to what Johnson has actually done. But Johnson, of course, himself does want to run the next election on a get Brexit done theme, not because he wants to do anything that the ultras want, all that deregulation, less government spending, less taxation. That's all too hard because it involves actually making decisions of hard choices, trade-offs about policy. But he wants to, to uh, reignite the culture wars uh, about Brexit, which he thinks won him the last election. Now, to that border, McTade's very good on the border issue, in which he says that Britain is now operating actually two borders. Both of them are bad. Both of them Britain didn't actually want. And the first speaks to the economics of it. The EU has access to the UK in a very unchanged way, because Britain is not operating any border controls for any goods coming in through Dover and other ports. But the reverse is true. The UK has much reduced access to the EU. And we had some 
trade data this week, and we've spoken about this in the past, various trade statistics have been produced showing the effects of Brexit, and the latest trade data for the UK were truly jaw-dropping. They showed that in the first part of this year, the UK had a current account deficit in excess of 8% of GDP, which is just enormous and utterly unsustainable. And obviously contained within that data was a collapse in exports to the EU and a rise in imports so yes, that, as a result of those barriers. The EU, of course, being Britain's biggest trading partner before Brexit, there is another fact which is startling to anybody's mind, I would imagine, that in terms of GDP, the OECD has assessed what's happening and say, definitively actually, that only Russia will be below Britain in terms of GDP growth this year, which yeah, is as, truly extraordinary when you yeah. consider the uh, sanctions the Russians are enduring, leaving aside, of course, that they're getting a lot of money from oil and gas. But if Britain is down there as a result of the opportunists and the populists who foisted Brexit upon them, where do they go, Chris? Well, as McTague says, Britain, you know, that that's statistic about Britain being the worst performer in the OECD apart from Russia um, is, is, shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody that realized that we, we chose the hardest, most expensive version of Brexit available. And yes. it's, one that, it's one that left the country divided, because it still is. And, you know, business has suffered a lot. And that's what we did. That's what we chose. And we've done nothing else. It's important to say, Chris, about Brexit, that Boris Johnson used it as a populist vehicle to, first of all, become leader of the Tory party and secondly, to become a prime minister with a majority of 80 seats. It is claimed that when this whole debate about Brexit began in 2016 or 2015, that he wrote two pieces for the Daily Telegraph where he was working at the time, part-time, of course, because he was an MP, and he wrote a pro-Brexit piece and an anti-Brexit piece and narrowly decided to go with the pro-Brexit piece. And the reason is obvious. It was a populist horse he could ride to victory, and he was good at that. He did that extremely effectively. The question of his belief or lack of belief in the things he was saying arises now in a big way, doesn't it? Yeah. It, you and I have discussed Johnson's lack of belief yes. many, many times. He doesn't have any apart from one, which is yeah. um, a desire to become or be prime minister. The actual job of doing the prime ministerial tasks don't interest him whatsoever. And that relates back to something that I just said, which is that having delivered Brexit and gotten his leadership of the Conservative Party and 10 Downing Street in the back, he's done nothing else, nothing yes. else since. Leveling up has amounted to nothing. This was the great promise as a result of Brexit that um, that Britain's regions would, would all become equal as a result of the Brexit freedoms that would be unleashed. Um, and that... Uh, all he's done about levelling up, and it's not him actually, it's a few civil servants that will have done this, is that he's announced a few more bus routes, some free ports, a relocation of a few civil servants to the regions, and a levelling up fund, this is where the rubber hits the road when it comes to money of course, that amounts to 0.2% of GDP. Now all of that could have been done, of course, 
when they were in the EU. There was nothing about being in the EU that stopped him from doing any of that. And all of that doesn't actually amount to a hill of beans. Because since Brexit, the regional inequality thing that levelling up was supposed to address has gotten worse. London is up. The rest of the country is down, with the notable exception, ironically perhaps, of Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland, as a result of the Northern Ireland Protocol, has been doing well. It's the second best performing region of the UK since since Brexit. And I think that's an appropriate moment to talk about that letter that I talk, that I mentioned earlier on, written by the ambassador to the Irish ambassador to the UK, Adrian O'Neill. And he takes point by point Liz Truss on. Um, First of all, um, Liz Truss asserted that the Northern Ireland Protocol is destabilizing the North. Um, O'Neill says that's just completely wrong. Yes. It's quite clear to anybody that it's Brexit itself that is destabilizing yeah, the North. And the, the, D- and the DUP, yeah. who won't go into the Assembly, and they, they are the destabilizing factor. Yeah. Number two, Truss asserted that it was a matter of international law. It was quite legal for Britain to do what it's doing. Uh, O'Neill echoes Theresa May and countless other legal experts, including law lords, that it was completely illegal. The third point that Trust made earlier on in the week is that the new legislation that she introduced for its second reading would fix the problems. O'Neill says, and quite understandably in my view, that it won't fix any problems, any real problems, or mostly the imagined ones in the fevered imagination of the DUP and List Trust. And he says it will create new uncertainty and instability, especially for business, but also further strain the UK-Ireland relationship, which cabinet ministers in Ireland are saying is at the worst level yes. ever. He finally goes on to say that the new law claims the Good Friday Agreement will be upheld. That flies, says O'Neill, in the face of the principle of partnership, which is at the heart of that agreement, because this is a unilateral measure designed solely with the interests, not of one community even, but one party that represents one part of that community, that there is no partnership whatsoever. So I think it's a very, very effective demolition of Liz Truss's arguments in particular, but also all of the arguments that are used to justify this legislation. It's a letter well worth reading. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One of the consequences, if... The UK continues on this path, Chris, and Maris Sefcovic, the EU negotiator, has said repeatedly the single market is sacrosanct, and we know that. And really, this part of the agreement, another part of the agreement Britain signed when it left the EU was something called the Trade Cooperation Agreement. The point that Sefcovic makes is the single market is sacrosanct. Nothing is going to be allowed to interfere with it. And that demands, really, that there's no hard border on this island. But the bill that Liz Truss has put before the House of Commons means they won't operate the kind of customs checks that are required. And therefore, this part of Ireland will have to erect a hard border, accept a hard border, or leave the single market. So this presents us with a shocking dilemma, and and that is a reality that we can't get away from. This is something that the ultra-Brexiteers were betting on from very early on, that if Britain went down this kind of path, it would says to the EU effectively that, you know, we're not going to put a border on the island of Ireland. And if you do, all of the consequences that flow from that will be on you, not us. We will not be erecting that border. Um, That's the hope, I suspect, that they get that kind of PR. But nobody will believe that. That will, you know, we'll all see through that. I mean, that is a, you you paint it in very stark terms. Um, It's not clear what would happen if this legislation passes, and it's got many months, I think, before it does. Um, And it it may well be the case that we go through a trade war first. It may well be the case that whatever is erected on the island of Ireland is something that the EU comes up with some clever solution. I don't know. But as part Um, of a trade war, Chris, let me ask you this. If, as this bill suggests, that really stuff can come in to Northern Ireland, it won't be checked, they won't fill out forms, And at that point, it can go anywhere on this island. That is an immediate and dramatic threat to the single market. And for all kinds of reasons, food standards, animal health, all kinds of things. So we will be forced to erect a hard border or leave the single market. That is very dramatic stuff. It is very dramatic. And logic says that you are right. Um, but I do think there's a lot of water to flow under the bridge before we get to that point, and we all have to hope that we don't. Um, but as I say, the interim steps will include legal um, moves against the UK for what they are doing. They don't recognise um, the European Court of Justice either. 
And then there was, as you raised, the possibility of a trade war. All of that will be focusing minds, not least in the Treasury, um, which is aghast at this prospect, because there are two reasons why a trade war would be disastrous. One, for obvious economic reasons, the UK is already having the most awful trade performance. Um, One exercise that was published in recent days showed that UK trade is is about 14% below where it should be. If it had stayed in the single market, GDP is is lower by f- over five percent. Investment capital investment, which is the engine for growth for future growth of the economy, is lower by nearly fourteen percent of GDP um, since Brexit. So all of these things are having an economic consequence. If you threw in a trade war on top of those kinds of numbers, it would be disastrous for an already very weak UK economy, which is widely forecast now to either be in or very close to recession anyway. So the Treasury will be aghast. A trade war would make that much, much worse. So you have to play, you imagine there's a dynamic game being played here in that the outcome of a hard border in in Northern Ireland would first see all sorts of consequences, which would be politically very unpalatable for Johnson. The second thing that a trade war would do it would play straight into the hands of Vladimir Putin, who has bet on a divided Western response to Ukraine. And to see the West fighting in this way, to see Europe fighting yes. in this way, will be a propaganda um, victory for him. So that that is is concentrating minds too. So, you know, I don't know where the solution to this is coming from. Liz Truss in particular, but the Tory party in general, and the hardline Brexiteers seem hell-bent on doing this. Um, in a way, this, this is this is a bit like the Roe versus Wade thing in the United States. It's it's pure ideology. It's got nothing to do with reality on the ground. Uh, the consequences of these kinds of decisions will be felt for years to come. Absolutely. Now, let me refer you finally, Chris, to an irony here. Johnson has been abroad all week with the NATO summit in Madrid. Also, traveling around Europe to the EU meetings and. He has, in my view, I'd be interested in yours, I'm sure our listeners will be, he has had what you might call a good war. Britain has given a lead, it has sent weaponry, it is sending money, it is part of, along with Joe Biden, galvanizing the West, it's leading that way. Other European countries, and one has to say this, France and Germany perhaps, have been less forthright Johnson has been up front. This is what he does well. At the same time, now he has to come back. And by all accounts, there are strong moves and there is a group around that MP Steve Baker, that bright young Brexiteer. There is a determination now to get rid of him. His troubles with his own party has deepened. Yeah, there's an, there's an election coming for the members of the 1922 committee, which will be bitterly yes. fought. And the outcome of that will determine whether or not he can face another confidence vote this side of 11 months. Um, and we'll, we'll see the outcome of that. That That's pretty much ongoing. Yes, he's had a good war, as you say, but I think that needs to be placed in context. I'll make two points about that. First, he stumbled on this policy. Um, eventually, if you, if, you, if you thrash around like a shopping trolley with a broken wheel, to use Dominic Cummings' metaphor for the Prime Minister, he's christened him the shopping trolley, you will eventually come across something that actually works. But the Conservative Party in government for the last decade did nothing, particularly post the 2014 annexation of Crimea, did nothing for Ukraine, despite being asked repeatedly by Ukraine to help 
with that issue and the war that ensued in the East, which has been going on since 2014. There's been a war in Ukraine since then. Britain did nothing to, 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 about, to help Ukraine with that, ignored all Ukraine requests. And it, secondly, it has done nothing still, really, to all intents and purposes, to rid London of the laundromat yes. label for, for Russian oligarch yes. money laundering and all of the other activities that the oligarchs are indulged in. So yes, they've been, they've sanctioned a few individuals, so they're starting finally to do something. For, but for years and years, they did nothing. So I, I yes, some plaudits for, for stumbling upon the right policy, but no, there's a lot of other things to do with Russia and Ukraine that the Conservatives should um, really hang their heads in shame. Your point about Johnson being replaced, I think minds will be concentrated by the latest opinion poll published this morning, which um, now shows Labour with an 11-point lead over the Conservatives. And the combined Labour-Lib Dem vote is now at 56%, according to this opinion poll. And given all of the um, stuff about tactical voting and all the rest of it, that will be giving the Conservatives nightmares and will certainly focus the attention of Mr. Baker and his colleagues on getting rid of him. Okay, just to finish where we began, Chris, with Chris Pincher, MP, Deputy Chief Whip. He's resigned as Deputy Chief Whip. Many people feel he should resign his seat, where he has a 20,000 majority, but as we saw in Tiverton last week, there was a 24,000 majority overturned and indeed, the Lib Dems have a 6,000 majority now. So 30,000 people changed their vote there. They'll be afraid to hold another by-election. So Mr. Pincher may survive to sexually harass more men. Perhaps. But yes, I think another by-election would be the last thing that Mr. Johnson wants. There have been rumours in, in recent past that he would be considering a snap election to try and clear the air of all of this, to try and <laughs> capitalise on his Ukraine bounce, but yes. the, the, in the opinion polls there is there is no bounce, quite the reverse. Okay, Chris, we're very, very grateful to you, as always, for joining us. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks to Chris, to all of you who listened. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.